0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Design Recharge. I'm so excited today to have Mike Rodion. on. He's been called the godfather of sketch noting, but he's actually also a UX UI designer, user experience, user interface designer. And he is joining us um, today, and I'm so excited to, for him to be here. And if you don't know, um, and we're going to put a link up later so you can get your own. But this is his book, and this is one of the ones we're going to be talking about today. And then he's also, which is, um, I really like this one, too. And you think, oh, it's just like a book to read. But like every few pages, it's filled with these awesome illustrations. I wish all books were like this. This would make people read more, I think. But it gives you time to think about it. So I'm so excited to have everybody here today uh, live. And I know if you're catching this on the replay, You'll have to try to make it to a live event at some point, and you can always sign up at designrecharge.org for our email list, and you get the questions beforehand, which nobody else gets except the VIP members. So, Mike, we are gonna get started. I have a ton of questions for you, and if you guys wanna ask a question, we have the chat, so feel free to um, pull, you know, type in a question, and I'll do my best. You can type it in the chat, and I'll try to get it over. And if you're new to Spreecast, um, I'll be able to pull up some images, and I'll tell you about that when we get there. But you can, of course, also tweet this out, get more people to come join us and share it on Facebook, Google+, um, whatever. So, Mike, um, sketchnoting, that's the only way I knew you at first. I didn't realize that you were, like, you did other things. Yeah. So this is not really your full-time job. Um, how do you... How did you build this audience and how did you start doing this and why?
1: Well, the audience was built really slowly. Um, As you say, I'm a UX designer now. I started as a print designer back in the uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s. So I started before all this uh, technology stuff, but um, our family always had PCs and computers and fooled around, so that was a good thing in that I was never afraid to try new things. So I ended up by the nature of things being the system administrator and sort of the troubleshooter for my little design firm where we did print design and we did all kinds of things, packaging and stuff. Um, And then I switched into web design in the mid-90s. I started working remotely for a friend of mine who uh, was in Germany. So I got to work with Europeans, I got to travel internationally, that had a big impact on me. I did that for 10 years. So I did print design for 10, I did web design for 10, and then just recently, about three years ago, next month, um, I work for a company called Gamal Research and Design. And we do user-centered uh, design, user experience. I'm more of a user interface guy. So I'm, I come at it from a design, a visual design perspective. But I'm really fascinated by user experience and user-centered design and testing and those kind of things and how that impacts. So I, a lot of the design that I'm interested in is how does it work. Of course, I want it to make it look good. But how it works is real important. So that's kind of where my career has led. And um, about five years ago, I started discovering that the way I was taking notes wasn't working anymore. Um, I was taking notes with pencil because I wanted to be able to erase mistakes and things. And uh, I did them in these giant books. And I would try and capture every last detail of what I was hearing. So I felt like a, like a court reporter, stenographer, or something like that. And um, so it just became too much of a burden after a while. And the funny thing is, when I look back at my my high school, or more likely in my college days, at the notes that I took then, they were much more illustrated. So I would still write text, but I would illustrate and put drawings and diagrams all over the place. And for some reason, when I got into the business world, I just sort of lost that. I don't know why. Um, and so I felt like note-taking meant capturing everything and writing in all this detail, even, you know, Uh, I also started using, you know, typing the computer to capture notes, too, or to write. So I think that maybe that had some impact on the way I was taking notes, the introduction of technology to actually do that. So anyway, it became a burden to do it this way. This was late 2006, so early 2007, I had a conference I was planning to attend in Chicago, and I just thought, I can't take notes the same way anymore. It's just too frustrating. Um, what can I do? And as a designer, you know, often the best designs that we come up with um, happen when we have limitations, right? So uh, the limitation that I set on myself was, well, I've got a giant book and a pencil. How, what would be the way to limit that? So the option for me was uh, a little moleskin notebook that I had kind of hanging around in my, in my, um, just like that. Yep, it was. Uh, I use the sketchbook ones because they have really thick paper and they can withstand inking that I do because I use heavy inking um, and I bought it at um, at Barnes and Noble um, and the interesting thing was I didn't know what to do with it it was too beautiful to use so it sat on my desk for a long long time for a couple of months but I didn't know what to do with it um, and so it was waiting for just this moment when I was trying to find a limitation so that limitation was hey what if I use a little book I can put it in my pocket and the nature of a little book is you can't take all those notes that you used to, so I was, was forcing myself to be more selective um, and more deliberate in my note taking. Uh, the other way that I limited myself was instead of using a pencil, I switched to pen, because when you're using pen, you know, when the ink's down, either you gotta live with it or you gotta turn it into something, right? So um, that those are my two limitations and those sort of drove the third thing, which was if I can't take the kind of detailed notes I used to, and I, and if I have to be careful what I draw, that also means that what I capture needs to be considered more. Like there needs to be more filtering, and so it brought the analysis up to the front. Because in the old notes I would take, the assumption was if I took all these notes in the detail, and it was in pencil so I could fix mistakes, um, I would go back later and look at those and then draw the meaning out of them. But the funny thing was, I never would go back and look at those notes. They became only useful at the moment to help me process. In that case, they were very good. But I never used them as reference, which was kind of a big part of why I did them that way. Um, So thinking through that approach was like, well, what if I move the processing instead of going back over later, which I don't do? What if I move that up to when I'm actually hearing this stuff, and then putting it in context to So if I go to a conference, I want to leave with some ideas, some actionable items that I can make a difference in my work or my personal life to be better, right? That's sort of the goal of going to these, you know, conferences or workshops is to improve. So what if I move my processing up to the front of uh, when I'm listening to this stuff and then think about it and, and because I can't capture everything, I have to capture less be more selective about the things that I actually write down, the things that are meaningful, the things that I think that can impact my work or my personal life for the better. Those are the things I listen for and I capture those because then I will go back and look at them because there's much fewer notes. So that's kind of how it all began. I went to a user experience conference in Chicago and uh, I just tested this theory. Will this idea work? Can I work in a tiny book with a pen or will it drive me crazy? Will my hand be dead by the end or whatever? So I tried it, I had a really great time, and then the, the next component was, um, at the time Flickr was pretty hot, and that was sort of the leading um, social media at the time. You could have discussions and groups and comments, you could favorite and things, so the natural place for that to go was on Flickr, and then that spread across the community. I still put all my stuff on Flickr because that community is still really vibrant and, uh, and interesting. In fact, uh, the sketchnote handbook, we have a, a Flickr group too we can talk about later. But you can go and put your stuff up, and I try to go back and look at things and favorite things and comment. So this the the component of Flickr was really important to sketchnote spreading, number one, because other people could see the work. They could If they were there, they could look at it, and they could say, oh, yeah, I remember that John said that, and that was really impactful for me. And the funny thing was, even if I didn't capture every detail that they heard, for them to be reminded of that moment helped them to bring back memories, too. So it's really kind of interesting. Um, I started getting comments from attendees, and then speakers would notice it too, and were starting to comment and favor it and stuff. But the most fascinating part was uh, people that were not at the conference. people that were had heard about it or were thinking about going would see the notes and read through them. And it was sort of a way for them to understand like, hey, this is a cool conference. I want to go to this when it comes to my city, or what you know they could even draw meaning immediately from those ideas. So it became sort of a documentation of the moment. Even though it was originally just a personal thing for me, it was helpful to others. And then I, that made me realize, OK, there's something going on here that's bigger than what I've just done. Um, let's see where this goes. So I kept on sketchnoting and posting. That's how I ended up um, sort of being discovered by 37signals. One of the next conferences I did was at a conference called the Seed Conference in 2007. It was a few months later. And I went and I notes. I just would hide in the crowd. Have my little notebook. That's another advantage of a little notebook. Nobody really looks at you, unless they're sitting right next to you. So I, I captured notes again. I put them up, and they discovered them, and they put them up on um, on their blog, which had a pretty good readership. So other people started noticing, and it was a different it was a different vector. It was this whole group of developers who are not typically artistic, or they're aware of art artistic stuff, but it's not their typical space. So that was another aspect. Was this idea that. Flickr made it possible for people to very easily embed sketch notes in their website. Um, now you know we do more tweeting and there's linking and stuff. But when blogs were a little more important, you know, having the ability to just grab some code and stick it on your website and magically there's artwork. You don't have to download anything. That was pretty cool. And so that was a real enabler in getting sketch notes spread around. So uh, so that began the process. Um, next thing I did was uh, South by Southwest. Uh, then I was re-invited to another seed conference, but this time as a guest, so I didn't have to pay or anything. They brought me in as a guest and an official sketch noter for the the third one that they did. And then South by Southwest found out about me, and they did the same thing. They gave me a badge, made me the official sketchnoter in 2009, and just sent me around to go capture. So I ended up with I think I think that week I was there for a week and came up with 68 pages worth of sketch notes that were posted. That turned into a little app that was that ran for a little while. That connection led to doing uh, the bag for South by Southwest um, before I even got there. They said, "Hey, we like your stuff. Can you design our giveaway bag that we put our swag into?" And so um, it was really fascinating to see how these things would sort of lead. One thing sort of leads to another. That's one of the lessons I always talk about when I share this story: is you know we we often want everything to happen immediately, and it doesn't always work that way. And it's really important to remember that one thing kind of leads to the next thing and to be OK with that and let it flow. And I think that's so at the beginning, when you said, how did I build this, and I said, slowly. That's always been my approach is just do what you can now, keep on building, be open, and just go with the flow. So uh, so the next thing you know, I was doing you know, sketchnoting for money. People were hiring me to come in and do it. So like um, Chick-fil-A LeaderCast down in Atlanta hired me two years in a row to go down and capture their speakers. I've been to other conferences as well around the country. Um, been to private meetings for companies, so it can be a way to capture the you know what they're discussing, brainstorming about. So there's lots of applications that I found professionally, and that led to doing the rework book because the guys at Thirty Seven Signals knew my work, they liked my style, and uh, so we just worked together to do that book, right? And their concept was one illustration for each essay to sort of capture those ideas. So it was a really fun process working with them. I did a lot of pencil sketching, so I guess that's sort of a cousin to sketchnoting, right? Um, I've I've said this before, too, that what's interesting about sketchnoting is because I'm kind of an old-school designer, I learned to sketch everything before I did production, and when I meant production in my days, it was you know, uh, typesetting and wax and drawing and boards and all that kind of old-school stuff. But I think it even applies to now uh, that designers really benefit by sketching and feeling free to explore ideas and then solidifying it with the computer. So you're not not sort of falling into ruts that you tend to fall into in Photoshop or Illustrator or whatever tool you use. Um, So the funny thing was is that was my process, was this sketching thing where I would show it to clients. Only clients would typically see it. It would never really get public. Um, So this was a way of making sort of my thinking public in a different way. Um, So that led to rework. Rework led to, there's several other books that I've had a chance to illustrate. Um, Chris Gullibo did a book called The $100 Startup. Another one, there's another couple more that I've just recently done. So it's it's definitely become a line of business for me, is illustrating these books. And uh, 37 Signals is uh, doing another book called Remote Now, which we're working on. Uh, Similar idea, except around remote working. So so that's another opportunity that's come through that, a way to communicate with images. Uh, And then eventually that led to a connection with Peach Pit, to do um, the sketch note Handbook, um, and that the idea behind that was, how can I capture this process that I follow so that I can other people can adopt it and see ways that it can fit in their lives and make them better. So that that's sort of uh, probably a long longer story than maybe people wanted to hear, but that's uh, that kind of brings you from the beginning to the book, and now we're here. Now I'm sort of promoting the book and encouraging people to try things out and speaking and. Sort of supporting the book by being here. There's,
0: there's yes. two versions of the book. Right. Um, you can get the plain book. Mm-hmm. Or you can get the video edition, right. which I did. <laughs> and see, they give you this this thing. I'm familiar with Peach Pit, and I actually use a lot of their books when I teach. Okay. But they have this thing, and you rip it, and you you can't get my code but because I've already used it. but. They give you a code, so then you can find it. You can go again, and you can watch them. and And they're longer, and um, they're really good. But they're broken into kind of chapters, so you have the book, but then you also have this other thing. And then you've done some um, podcast, uh, video podcast, as well as audio. And I listened to a bunch of uh, you were interviewed by somebody who, pretty much, was just asking. One was guy was like, ah, tell us about your pins and right. what pins you're using, and um. But it, it, I think that's what they were doing. I, it, I didn't listen to anymore. but I thought that that was cool. You know, and I, you know, I use these cheapo Bic pins, which I'm like, if a student comes in and they're like, can I use your pin? I'm like, yeah, yeah but like- I want it back. And I don't know why, but I really like the way these, I mean, these are like the cheapest pins you can ever buy. But this is the kind my mom always okay. bought. And so this is what so, we had yeah. in our house. So this is what I <laughs> like cool. to use. Now, Granted, when I sketch, maybe it's something else, but... I mean, I would encourage everybody, and I have a link for the Peach Pit. It is, it's great, and it's filled with, he talked about um, just a minute ago about when you make a mistake, being okay with those mistakes, mm-hmm. and he has other people in the book, um, like, this is Matthew McGain, I yeah, guess. Yeah, he's an Aussie. Exactly how to say, he's, oh, okay. Um, but then there's tons of different ones every in each chapter there's at least two different people who are—it's um, how they use sketch noting. But I think what is amazing is that it's not just for designers. I mean, designers can definitely use this, but actually, this is—this could help. It helps with retention, retention of information. And as a designer, I need that when I'm meeting with a client, so or when I go to a conference or in a meeting or any—I mean, there's so many times when we do this. But if we could get everybody to do it like this, people would retain more information. And, and there's a fact in the book. Um, I know it's, Mike, you said it wasn't like super like scientific, but can you share that fact with us?
1: Yeah, it's a, it was a very small sample size, so I think a scientist who would look at that data would probably, you know, want to see more testing done around it. But the, the story was in The Guardian from a couple of years ago, and it was uh, a group of people. I think there were 80 people, and uh, they split it in two groups of 40 or maybe it was 40 and there were groups of 20. So I mean it wasn't either, either in either case It's a pretty low sample size. But, so they took this group of people they split half and they put them in two different rooms. They played the same, I think it was like a telephone voice message. Someone calling and saying a name and a phone number and a name and a phone number and it was pretty long and detailed. Um, one group was told only to listen to the message but not do anything, don't take notes, just listen. Uh, and the other group um, was given sheets of paper with, with uh, rectangles, I believe. And they were told just to draw hatch lines or to draw in these boxes. Like there was no, they weren't writing numbers down. were They didn't have any kind of advantage over the other group in any way by writing things like numbers. Um, but they basically kept themselves active. They were drawing inside of a space. Um, and they found, I think, that it was 29% uh, better retention by the group that was uh, cross-hatching in these boxes. Um, so I think it's sort of points to or at least suggests that, and I've heard this many times when people see the book or talk to me, is they feel like they remember more when they doodle. Even if it even if they're not doing doodles that make any sense to what they're hearing, it's something about the kinetic action of moving your hand and doodling sort of wakes up part of your brain that maybe is turned off if you're just passively listening. So in a way it's like active listening. It's you know you're being active with your body, it's sort of enabling your whole body. It's keeping you dialed into what's being said, and I think it only improves. I would I'd love to see a study where they maybe have you know maybe three groups and the third group's doing sketchnoting where they're actually trying to convert stuff. and I'd be curious I'd be curious to see how that would impact. But um, I think there's something about that kinetic movement of your hand and your body that I always feel more much more engaged in things when I'm trying to sketch note and, and process. It just really engages me more. and I've, I've heard that again and again from others too. So I think, I think that was interesting tidbit. You know, the book is definitely not a research book. It's a practical how-to book. Um, you sort of touched on this before, that it's not just for artists. Uh, one of the goals that I wanted to have for the book and my editors, too, was how do we reach a lot of people? There's tons of people with visual abilities that just don't use them. Maybe in grade school or middle school, there was some really good artist in their class, and all that did is encourage them not to draw at all right because this guy's so good or this girl is so good why should i bother so they give up right maybe they even had a little bit of talent and i think we all have some level of drawing and visual ability so what the, one of the goals was how do we draw these people out and have them give this a try and find out if it works for them you know it may not work for everybody maybe not everybody's into it that's cool i'm i'm okay with that i understand that uh, but i think there were a lot of i had this feeling there were a lot of people that given the chance they gave it a shot. I'd find it valuable. And so one of the big themes through the book was it's about ideas, not art. Because I think often people get hung up on when I show them stuff, oh, that's that's art that you did. Well, yeah, it is because I've had a lot of time to practice it, and I'm a designer, so I'm bringing those talents. Uh, but that doesn't mean that rough drawing is somehow not useful. In fact, it's very useful, especially for yourself when you're capturing and. And it's helping you remember things. So that was a huge uh, message we wanted to get across that this is not about artists, but ideas. And once you kind of move to that space where it's not about performing as an artist, and it's about getting ideas down, and we reinforce that with the book in the back. In chapter seven, there's lots of activities that readers can do using. Uh, we one of the things we teach is the five simple shapes: square, circle, triangle, line, and a dot. And you can build so many things with those shapes when you start observing and thinking about how things are built, you can break things down very simply and capture them in simple ways. We talk about quick ways to do typography, quick ways to draw people. Um, that was from my friend Dave Gray. My friend Austin Kleon had this really interesting grid where you can take nine squares and you mix and match just a couple of simple lines and you get nine different uh, facial expressions out of it. And It's just a, an experiment to show you that you can do a lot with very little Symbology on the page, and so it was a way to say, okay, this is about ideas, not art. Here we go. And so, um, with with that with that idea in mind, I think it's really seeming to work. I'm, I keep on seeing uh, reviews on Amazon. I think there's 81 reviews, and a bunch of those are from people that claim not to be artists. And this this uh, this approach, this very visual book, it was almost like a comic book for them and the practical exercises and the message really got them to give it a try. And once they gave it a try, then they were having fun and they wanted to do it more. In fact, it seems like non-artists seem to gravitate to it even more than artists do for some reason. I'm not, I haven't really explored that yet, but uh, I think it's really cool that we can in- involve anybody, that anyone can use this technique as a tool, just another tool that you can use in your arsenal to make yourself a better person.
0: And I also think in school or people who are trying to improve in in the business place and anything, again, just like you were saying, you never went back to your other sketches. Mm-hmm. This is something you want to go back to, and actually that helps with retention too. The more you go back to the sketches, you can add things, and the more you engage afterwards, it's, it just plays more on, and that, there have been studies that show that. Like, um, that is definite. and. You know, as a designer, I'm sitting down with a client. I take a ton of notes, and then I always go back because I may not remember exactly what was said two weeks ago when I start working on the project. So I think stuff like this is awesome. But I also think for kids who are really, you know, they're really smart, but then they're, like, disengaged in school or they're kind of bored, man, this would be great for them because – they can actually be encouraged to doodle, but try to doodle the content instead of right. just trying to, um, Avoid the content. you know, I think that, right, right. And I I just think that if, if teachers from the get-go would teach this way, wow, I wonder if people would perform better. And I know in high school sometimes it's just like, oh, uh, you know, tell me what the answer is. I just told you what it is, now repeat it back to me. But I think when... I think they're trying even more, even in like second grade math here in Mobile, Alabama. They're doing critical thinking at that lower, lower level, which I think a lot of places around the around the United States, they're doing this. But that, I think it would engage students a lot more and hopefully help people even in the real world with they get out.
1: I think so. I think um, I've heard a couple of stories where uh, parents have bought the copy of the book, and when their kids find it, they steal it and that they disappear with it and they don't come back for a while. So I've heard that many times. Um, there's one mom that contacted me. We had a long interview. She wrote an, She's a freelance writer. And she was so uh, excited about the idea that she wrote an article about it. And one of the things that her, her daughter ran into was um, she had a paper to write. Her mom said she had to write a paper on the missions of California, like the impact, historical impact, and other stuff. And her daughter had writer's block she was like eight or nine years old and had writer's block about this report she had to write did not it didn't know what to do with it um, and the interesting thing was her daughter said to her hey mom is it okay if I sketchnote the talk and she was like yeah sure because apparently they had gone through the book together and so what the daughter did from what I understand is she sat down and I think she drew like a map of California and then marked all the locations where the missions were and started writing facts about each one and how they impacted local society and then I think it's likely that she was starting to look around hey this happened around the same time and started making correlations between them um, and the, the thing was is by putting it all down visually like that and sketch noting it out it helped break her past um, the writer's block and then once she could sort of see it then she could start to write and then she took the sketch notes and using those as a guide wrote the, wrote the article I don't know that she's included the sketch notes as part of the report but it was a tool to get her from not having any way to express herself to having a way. And I think that's another valid point about sketch notes is, and sketching too, I think that's a really big thing with sketching, is this idea that you, even if you disagree about an idea, it's really dangerous when two people are talking about an idea and they just have it in their heads because we could talk about the same things, we could use the same words, and the idea in your head might be completely different from mine, or at least different enough that it's a problem. The value of putting a sketch on the paper, which I use for clients all the time to get their approval, is we at least have, in the worst case scenario, we have something to argue about, right? We can disagree about what it is that is on that paper. Uh, And then we can work towards unifying our vision and coming to a solution together, right? It's not only does it uh, bring in the client and help them understand and feel a part of the process, it really helps both parties to kind of come to a central agreement. I think sketchnotes in a way can help there where if you had multiple people in an organization taking notes and using sketches to augment their notes, and then sitting down and sort of going over it, like, oh, I didn't didn't think about it from that perspective, you know, they can become a a central thing that you discuss and you sort of come to an agreement on. So there's even value in that as well.
0: Well, I think people, when they they are doing stuff like this, there's Alma. Um, When people are doing stuff like this, they the collaboration i might hear something different than you so then when we combine compile our notes it's going to be even richer and again just another another way to connect or another way to retain more information or to because the more we can retain the better we can use in our daily lives or whatever we're working on for each client or, or whatever test we're studying for or something um by doing, by physically doing and listening and then you have a visual, you're actually doing three of the learning styles combining together, which the more learning styles you can um, combine, help you to, again, retain more information. And a lot of times as a designer, I'm totally trying to remember, oh, what w- I remember where <laughs> she was sitting and I remember where he was sitting. And then you're trying to, I have a mute button so I can, when I cough, I, I can turn mine off. No, no, you're fine. We can barely hear you coughing. Keep coughing. But, I mean, not too much. Um, I'm just playing with you. But I want to show some of your work. So this is from South by Southwest, this image. So I'm going to pull some images up. If you're new to Spreecast, here's what happens. I pull the image up. You can actually see it, drag your mouse over it, and it'll say drag window here. (laughs) And then you can... can, um, Move it wherever you want. You could put it over my face. Um, you can put it over, over mine the when chat. to drink. Can... <laughs> oh, you need more water. That's empty too. So this is from 2008.
1: Yeah, this is the first one right? that I did. Um, I think so. The page you see on the left was probably a little more of an illustration, where the stuff you see on the right was more sketch notes uh, in in the event. So I went to actually I went to Naz Hamid, who's uh, from Chicago. Gave a talk. This is the first talk I ever saw at South by Southwest, and so I was just trying to capture some of the meaningful things to me that he was talking about, and some of the imagery that was coming into my head. Uh, and then on the left, there was downtime in between in a in um, in the hallway, and so I just took some time to sort of capture sort of a title page to say, okay, this is what this is what this whole thing is about. And so that's what this is. One of the first, I think this maybe was a third set of sketch notes that I really was doing intentionally, so it's a lot of fun to see see what it's like, how, much, how similar it is, and how different I, I do things now.
0: And this is, he gives some tips in the book. So get there early, he says sit under a light, sit near the front. That would be awesome if you're in high school and you say, hey, I want to sit in the front, or in elementary school, or in college. You say, hey, I want to, I used to, I know that I asked in history, the 400 people history class, I asked to sit at the front because I said I have attention problems. Mm. So I knew if I was in the middle, I'd be gone. So it helped me. Mm. So I, I thought that was neat that you said that. And everybody in every other or in the book, they give tips.
1: Yeah.
0: So they're giving tips. Mike's giving tips. It's amazing. So this was from 2008. And then this one is South by Southwest 2012. <clears throat>
1: Yeah, you can see um, here, this is. Uh, I've put the title in the top left here. And so, one of the suggestions I have for when you get there early is you can prepare the title if you know what the title is, so that when they start, you can immediately start capturing. And I've learned that through bitter experience of showing up right on time, and then I'm scrambling trying to do this title. Um, the other solution is if, you're, if you don't have a choice, like you know, South by Southwest can get full really fast. Another solution that I've found is just to leave a space up there. And begin, and when you're done with it, then you come back and do a title in that space. So that's another way to not feel, because you don't want that to distract you from listening and capturing the ideas. So um, this is sort of a, a more recent sample. You know, I'm I'm always mixing sort of a, a varying degree of illustration and writing and typography. That's what I tell people too: is if you if you're if you feel like you're not an artist, you can vary the degree of um, illustration. Or sketching that you include. So if it's a really heavy uh, meeting where there's lots of talking and lots of ideas and maybe you can't, don't have the time to illustrate things, you can do it later. You can maybe uh, focus on text and add some tidbits when you have a little moment in between a, an idea. So all the way to being super visual. I just posted something on SketchNote Army yesterday. Um, it was a friend of mine who did SketchNotes in a long meeting about Scrum and Agile. It's like this beautiful illustration, but it's all visual, so you can sort of dial it to wherever it makes sense for you and not feel like you have to be all art or all text, or you can go anywhere in between that makes sense.
0: And maybe this is just an art thing or an artist thing or a designer thing that we want everything to be perfect, so to me... Mm -hmm. For you to say, hey, I'm not going to use pencil anymore, I, I know you have to make some mistakes. I mean, I think in the book it says, like, you misspelled co- – not you, but somebody misspelled coffee. And you're like, oh, well, what are you going to do? You are you just got to keep going, yeah. and you can fix it in Photoshop, or you can do something later. Can you talk a little bit about that? And I mean, that must have been – it would have been, like, anxiety-causing a little bit to me to go from pencil to pen and just – go for it
1: well the funny thing was when I was in college I made these mixtapes for my friends and the most fun for me was doing uh, doing the card covers I'm a designer so I would do these covers for the cassette tapes <clears throat> and that was a lot of fun that was as fun much fun as making the tapes was mm-hmm. but the thing I would do is if I would had gotten into an illustration I got to a certain level I didn't want to throw it away so I would it would force me and I was using pen right I would have to find ways to solve those mm-hmm. problems by dealing with pen so I think that prepared me a little bit. Um, I've come, become less uh, crazy about it, like when I first started.
0: <clears throat> <laughs> Can you see what Meredith said?
1: Oh, She's no. She's
0: having an attack over using. <laughs> I think it's, but I think it's something you have to get over, right? So uh, go ahead with what, what you're saying. I, I was, was going to so say, too, panic. that
1: <clears throat> if you feel more comfortable with pencil, you should use that. I, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not adamant about any specific thing. It's more, this is all about principles. So someone else on Twitter the other day said, oh, I, I can't give up my pencil. Like, Hey, that's if that's what works for you, you should use that. I just, for me, it was important to go to pen because it forced me to think about the information differently. <clears throat> so that was why, that was sort of the reason why I went that way. But I think pencils are fine if that's if that's more comfortable for you and you can still do that. I think that's okay. Um, you can see there's actually an error in here. If you look right under the title, I, I try to capture the Twitter handle <laughs> of the people that were at the event. And the, there was three guys here, but the third guy never had a Twitter handle. So you see a Twitter, an at symbol, and nothing there. And the intention there was I just put it there, and, and he never said it. And I thought, oh, I'll come back later, and put it in there. I don't think he was on Twitter, or never found it, or whatever. So it just stayed blank.
0: <clears throat>
1: and I do typos. I have an Yeah, go ahead.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Well, so the type that's actually kind of um, outlined, it's not just regular one stroke. Is that something you're doing while you're listening, or is that something to give more emphasis, or is it something you do after the fact?
1: I'm doing it while I'm listening, and I'm using it for emphasis. Um, In the book, I talk about a couple of quick ways to draw lettering. This is more, like over here, I don't know if you can see my pointer or not, but on the right where it says choose the right RFP to respond to rather than every RFP. So there I had a little more time as they were exploring ideas, and I I just took a little more time to draw this block lettering. Um, But there's times, like in the top left, where you see above the little Pac-Man, there's RFPs and a bunch of arrows coming off of it. That was more, I call it two-line lettering, where I draw the letter and then I just add another line to the other side to quickly make it bolder. And it's just used for emphasis. That's a quick way to do it. So there's like different levels of, of drawing, depending on my time. So if I'm drawing more open like this, I've got a little more time to play and fit things in. Or if I've got less time, I might be a little bit tighter, and I'm just using a two-line approach. But I'm doing it live, I'm doing it during. Sometimes I'll come back, like um, a situation might come up where I've got one idea, I really like this idea, and then there's another great idea, like I don't want to lose that. I'll sort of stop on where I, I'll stop where I am. Hopefully I've captured enough to come back and finish. And I'll just sort of leave space for it and then jump to the next idea and, and start on that one. And then as, you know, a lot of times someone will make a point and then they'll go into detail about it. While they're doing that, I'll kind of come back and fill in those details, either on the one I left or the one I'm finishing up. And just sort of work. And if I have to, I'll come back at the end and fill it. I'll kind of review the notes and I'll fill in the detail. And sometimes I'll have different ideas when I get to the end as I'll have seen the totality of the, of the talk and then I can sort of unify that. So.
0: <clears throat> so, it's really about knowing what to listen for as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and, and being able to know what to make bigger. And so how, can you give us some tips about listening? Like what, how do you know to make something bigger? I'm gonna take this one off and I'll put another one on.
1: Okay. Um, I think it's it's important to, that's part of the skill that you learn. I think it's not Sometimes it's not easy to determine what's important enough to focus on or not. You just have to build that. I think when we listen, we do it. And it's, so it's a matter of taking that skill that we do when we listen. and we make decisions about what's important or what's not important. Mm. And you're just transferring that to actually drawing what's in your head. So, um, and sometimes you just have to commit to something. You have to pick something that you feel is valuable and then just sort of work with it and um, be okay with the hierarchy being, you know maybe it's a little more jumbled. But you're, you know, you're capturing these ideas, and you can fill in, and you're all open to interpretation. So um, I think that's that's sort of what I do. Uh, the image you see now is um, <clears throat> another application of sketchnotes that I've been trying, and that is uh, sketchnoting when I travel. So I've done this on an, Alaska, an Alaskan cruise. I've done it in Washington, DC. This was a visit to Portland. Um, we went to Old Town Pizza. So you see, I, took, uh, I actually took a picture, and while we were waiting for our pizza, I looked at my iPhone and I drew the sign and then I just started writing notes around it using my you know two line lettering technique for the headlines and you can see even if you take a quick glance that wherever I've done this bolder lettering it sort of gives you hierarchy and structure to know where the where the header points are and you can jump to that if say you're not interested in pizza and you want to jump to the delivery bike that I saw outside the pizza shop you know those bolder areas give you some your eye some resting place to go to and then you'll see on the right page I've even added little icons next to the titles to give you some idea what that subject is about. So in this way, you know, I'm not listening to a speaker, I'm experiencing something, and I'm turning that into a visual record or a map. So this is my way of remembering being in Portland and going to this pizza shop, and what did the pizza look like, and this funny bike that I saw sitting out in front of the in front of the pizza parlor, and then you know, observations later on that I was making about the city and the people. <clears throat> so, I've done this in a variety of ways. I think you have, don't you have it one? It Sounds uh, like you're, go ahead.
0: you're putting into practice, you're just practicing, and the more you practice, the better you get. Um, there's Shape the Panisse, Panisse. there's yeah. Washington. Yeah, is that the one you want? Shape Panisse? So. So this, this one's, I mean, they're all beautiful, but this one rocks.
1: Well, this is a, another uh, application or practice of the idea, and it was, um, I was on a business trip. We were in Berkeley, California. Alice Waters has this great place called Chez Panisse. This was actually at the, this is at the cafe, I think they call it, because you can actually get in without a reservation. Um, and it was available, we could go, so we went to Alice Waters, Chez Panisse. And the idea was sort of a mini version of a travel log, except it's like a food log. So... You know, we would have a course, and then I would try and draw what it was that we had after we had it, because there was a little time between. And then I would, you know, after we were done, I filled in some of the details. And it was just again a way to capture this experience, because I think anything that we we can process and think about can be turned into a sketch note, um, either for business, be at a conference, it could be a workshop. In this case, it's just proving that hey, this idea works for other things, and it's a way of capturing an experience, whether it's a speaker or something you eat, right? So, so it's just another exploration of how, where can I take this idea?
0: Well, I think it's, you know, people who aren't necessarily artists, just like you were saying, hey, I could take a picture with my camera and then I could have something, Mm -hmm. sometimes a lot of people don't understand about transferring it from the three dimensions to two dimensions and that's really difficult, so if it's already done in a photograph, sometimes it's usually easier to draw. And again, the book really makes it so that it's not about being an artist. Um, it's about using circles and squares and rectangles and, and triangles and lines and dots that really you can really make anything with these. And and I think the people, I really like the the way the people, like just the people with like long, you know, line legs, you know, they're running and you show activity. Yeah. And I, I think that's really neat as well in the book. Um <clears throat> Let me uh, pull up this one from DC. I think so. This is kind of another travel log.
1: Right. So this was done before Portland. Um, this is one of the. Well, this is one of the second ones. So. <clears throat> so my wife and family and I went to DC. I had some business to do there, and we wrapped a family vacation around it. Um, and we stayed in Foggy Bottom. So you can see right here is the little neighborhood where we stayed. So, again, I was making. I was kind of making use of all the technology I had. I just were walking down the street going to the going to the metro, and I took a picture. And what I would do is, because it was so busy during the day with the, with the kids looking at things, it wasn't always easy to sketch things. Sometimes I would, like if the kids were doing something, I could draw like a lion or something. But a lot of times I would take pictures and maybe take a few notes in my iPhone or something. And when I would get home, when we got home to the hotel, I would sit down after the kids had fallen asleep with my book and transfer all my thoughts into the book. And start building this sketch note that you see here. So some things came from pictures, some things came from my memory, like this idea that uh, DC is sort of built around circles in some places. Uh, the drawing of foggy bottom, I think, I think I went on I think I went on Wikipedia or something like that and found the picture on, on Google. Uh, and then the, the line, I was actually there drawing that in person. So I mean, it's kind of a mix of things, my legs and how tired my legs were. I just drew that from memory. So it's kind of a mix of different stuff. And I'm using all these tools that I have available to me to make a record of the map of what, what our experience was like. And now I can go back and read this, and it really brings back lots of memories. And I think it'll be fun for my kids when they get older, when they run to remember the trip, they can look at this too, and it'll bring back memories from my perspective for them. So
0: so in the book, you you definitely have a kind of handwriting, and um, it's done in kind of a handwriting style, but it is does look like a font. And I know that that's um, something you're actually creating so that we all can use it. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that? And and really what you've just showed is how you incorporate sketchnoting into your daily life. And we're going to get into how you incorporate sketchnoting in your work life because we have some sketches of stuff that you've done. So um, talk about the font a little if you want. Yeah,
1: so um, <clears throat> I had this idea. And when I did rework, there was uh, chapter headings that I had to produce. And it seemed crazy to redraw them multiple times. And so what I did was I drew and scanned my own um, my own typeface for that. Um, I built it. I used Adobe Illustrator to lay out and kern the words, the lettering. Um, and so that it just became this object that I had, and I could build things with it. But it wasn't super practical. You couldn't just type or anything like that. Um, but then I, uh, I had this idea, of, what if I turn my handwriting and my headline into a font? And so I reached out on Twitter and my friend uh, connected me with another friend now named Del Witherington. He uh, has a foundry called Dell Fonts. He's out in Alameda, California, near Oakland. And uh, he's a full-time font designer. And so we uh, agreed, we uh, signed an agreement, and we uh, decided to produce a font of my handwriting. I needed it for the book, I realized, because There's so much text and the opportunity for there to be changes. I would hate to have to rewrite all this stuff, um, and that would just add another layer of complexity. So a font made a lot of sense as a designer. So he gave me a a character set. I just sat down and I drew all these crazy—I mean, normal characters and crazy ones—and I submitted them to him, high-res scans. And then he went in and he he traced all of them for me. And the interesting thing was because I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. Um, I would draw sometimes letters three or four times over and over again to get it perfect, and he just traced all of them. And his uh, he's uh, with the font that he's using or creating. It's an open type font, which allows you with certain uh, tools like InDesign, for instance, or I think Illustrator and Photoshop, to some degree, you can turn on a feature that will rotate uh, the characters in and make it look like they're more random. Um, we did a little bit yeah, of that I in the book, that. yeah.
0: Yeah, I was like, the T's, look, that T looks different than that T. Um, and I that was something I noticed, but then I was like, but that A is just like the other A. That's how geeky I am. But um, <laughs> but like your two E's right here are a little different. Can you guys see that? The T's, the design, and then each you probably can. It's a little fuzzy. But they're a tiny bit different. But I knew that there was multiples, and that's really cool, though. It helps it to look more... Organic.
1: Yeah, and that's the intention. I mean, it's not, it wouldn't be completely random, but it's sort of some kind of an algorithm that the software is using to pull different characters in a in a rotation or something. And so uh, Delve knew all that stuff. He's really great at font building. So it was a perfect partnership for me to draw the stuff and then he could do the production because he's really good at that and all the kerning pairs and stuff like that. So we did uh, we did a regular, a bold and an italic uh, with the font. Um, and then there's a fourth font that we're. And these are all almost ready. He's working on them right now. He's going to a type a typo. I think typo SF. So when he comes back, I think he's hoping to finish it up. But there's also a headline font which you see in the book too, which is that bold lettering. And I just finished doing all the crazy mm-hmm. characters for that as well. Um, and so like ligatures and umlauts and and other things like that. So yeah, Delvis he's a great guy. So that's going to be going up. We're thinking probably May. You know, it still depends on how his his uh, process works, but we'll be able to buy those uh, family is a family of four or uh, individually. We I think I think he has an idea on pricing. We have to finalize that, but we should be having that pretty soon. So I'm really excited about that because I think a lot of people have been asking about the font, and it made a, it made oh, a huge really cool. difference. Yeah, I mean, if I had not had the font, it would have been probably at least twenty to thirty percent more work at least. So that made a huge difference in production.
0: How long did the book take you from start to finish? I know you had a lot of other sketchnoters. They um, were asked to, you gave them probably the dimensions, and then they were asked to write their tips, what they use, you know, the paper and the pens or pencils or whatever. How long did the whole thing from you writing it to all of the production take?
1: Well, it was um, the whole thing from the moment that I talked to the acquisitions editor at Peach Pit Nikki. Um, was probably a year from beginning to end. Uh, the actual work, when I actually started writing and thinking about it, because about three months. Of that was proposal stuff, writing the proposal and tweaking the proposal and all that, and going through channels. So it was about ten. It was about seven months of pretty intense work, from the moment that the contract was signed to uh, delivering files. And I did all of the, all the work, other than editing and feedback. So um, I did. I wrote all the manuscript. Worked with editors to get that right. Uh, then I took the manuscript and sketched out uh, the whole book, so I've actually got PDFs of the whole book in sketch form. <laughs> and then, uh, then using those sketches, I went and sat down and inked out all the all the bits and pieces, scanned them in, uh, put them together in Photoshop, and built the pages. <clears throat> and then, um, then once I had the pages built, then I did the production work, dropping those uh, Photoshop files and building some things in InDesign, like the I did the index, I did the front matter, all that stuff, I did I did all that stuff. So I'm kind of nutty, but uh, it made for a fun project because I could put my fingerprints on all the, all the bits and pieces, and uh, it was a lot of fun to have the editors and the people on the other side really helping me to make it all work together. So it was really definitely a team effort, and I was really happy with the way Peach Pit helped me and, and, and really sort of was looking out for me when they produced the book, and I think it turned out really great.
0: That's awesome. Well, there's a link over there, so you can purchase your book. Yeah, definitely um, check that if, out. Yeah,
1: I should. I get uh, the video edition. Yeah. I um I should probably send you a link. I don't have it handy, but um, so one of the things I wanted to try was, I'm really into documenting things, right? So it made sense that, as I be as I signed the contract, what if I announced that I've got this book deal and document, blog about the whole process, including pictures, talking about trips that I took and how what the impact was and decisions and so there's a whole series I think it's somewhere around 20 posts now or something on roadesign.com um, I'll mark the sketch note handbook as the category um, I think if you go to the roaddesign.com slash book way down at the bottom there's a link that will take you to uh, to those posts and so you can follow it all the way from the moment that I signed the contract and announced to pictures of doing Sketches and doing the video and all that stuff. I tried to document it because I felt like it would be good for me when I came back. Um, but I think it would also maybe be helpful for someone else who's running a book, understand like what what goes into it and how do you how maybe you can approach it. Maybe these things that I'm learning can be valuable to somebody else in the future besides just me. So I'm always trying to think of ways to document so that other people can benefit. So uh, so that was the thinking behind that, and I think it really helped. You know, I. I sort of intended it for promotion. Uh, it really was more of a documentation, but as it turned out, people really liked it. It got people excited about the book. So then they were ready to buy it. When it came out, they had all this all this excitement had built over time because they saw it on Instagram and Flickr and on my blog and Twitter. So every time they'd turn around, they'd see my progress. So it was kind of like working in the open in a way. Um, and people could follow along. And then when the book came out, then they were excited to buy it and wanted to share it. So it's been a, kind of a fun, experiment to see that actually working like I kind of hope that it might.
0: And the videos, I know I keep pushing the videos. I guess I like the videos, but um, like there's a whole, like he goes through and you get to watch a bunch of people in a room taking notes. Some are shorter, some, you know, are over mic. They're, you know, looking at how he's working and um, it's, But the last, I think that's the last video is where you're showing um, how people are, um, you know, in the room with you, how you're doing it, and then you're hearing someone. So actually you as a viewer, you could also um, listen and and practice. Mm -hmm. But then on the free podcast, you have um, people, you also incorporate the digital, because a lot of people are taking notes on their iPad, or um, you had a woman... um, Sasha Chua. I don't remember what her name is. She's from Toronto. Yes. Sasha Chua. And she uses that, like, tablet thing. Yeah. It's a PC. She's a PC user. Um, but she talks about that, and she really liked, and she does sketch notes on that, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I think there's lots so there's of There's all kinds yeah. of stuff. And
1: uh, we've uh, – People are incorporated. It sounds like we're, we've got ten of those episodes. I think there's two or three left that come are coming out yet. Um, and Peach Pit wants to do 10 more, so my buddy Brian, who did the video, he also is doing the podcast, so we're going to figure out, we're going to pick 10 more things and do more, 10 more podcasts, teaching people to draw, and sort of exploring different ways that podcasting can be done, having interviews with people, I think those are always fascinating to hear, so that should be a lot of fun.
0: Definitely. Well, we only have like six minutes left, so I want to talk about a few more things for sure, and show show some of these images and one thing like my one of my first things I asked Mike during our test was where can I get one of those cool um sketch note moleskins cuz I wanted the sketch note one cuz if you look it has like the little tips on the left hand page and it shows how to draw things not that I don't know how but boy it would be really cool and I would buy that i was like where can i mean i looked for it i did searches yeah went to moleskin <laughs> It's, it's
1: I did not a, it find it. You want to talk about how you got this? Yeah, that just sort of was. Um, so this is again a story of one thing leading to another. Um, I went to a uh, an event in Pittsburgh last year called the IVFP International. Uh, I always forget what it is. Basically, it's visual professionals, and it's more graphic recorders. So they're the people that work on big boards. They use color markers, and they tend to work big. But we're like cousins, you know. And they invited me to come and keynote and talk about sketchnoting, So I did. I met a bunch of people there, and they had mm-hmm. a custom moleskin made. I had no idea, but apparently moleskin has this whole—they um, have this whole division or this whole program where they produce custom things that help promote moleskin and things that help you know people be aware of their stuff. So I just reached out through them and said, "Hey, moleskin, would you like to do you know a book?" of some kind, and they were really curious about South by Southwest. They hadn't been there. I said, hey, what if we do a short run of these sketch notebooks? We can brand it with your book. We'll get support from Peach Pit. We'll support it. You can tweet about it. And then we'll give these away at South by Southwest. So so we did it. And uh, I did the production art. I used a lot of the elements from my book. I used my font to do uh, sort of a letter inside and some other things. and So we produced these little uh, notebooks. And we just gave them away at South by Southwest. We had a few events, like a coffee event. People came and we gave them. And so it's just a chance for Moleskin to meet people that were interested in their products. And uh, we just walked. We kind of walked around uh, South by and we we're giving away these notebooks. So we only produced 160 um, and we gave them all away. So they're they're sort of specifically designed for South by. But um, I keep hearing people saying that they're interested. So I reached out to Moleskin and they said, well, you know, if you can document people that are interested. Um, and give us sort of a business case reason why we should produce this, we'll consider it. We may consider it. That definitely, you know, never any guarantees. But um, so uh, so I've, I'm sort of mulling on ways that I can capture people's interest, whether that's a MailChimp mailing list so that people that sign up get early access, or it's some kind of a, a survey or a form or something, some way to document this is a person's name and their email and they want one of these books. We can go to Moleskine and say, yeah, there's 200 people that want this. Or whatever it is to give them an idea. So that's that's something I'm sort of trying to brainstorm. So if you guys have ideas and you're interested in one of those books, I think Diane, you have a, I think you have an image of what those look like, or you can go to the site. One of the more recent posts is about it. So <clears throat> if you like one of those, definitely let me know if you have ideas and how we can promote that. So.
0: And you know, Mike, if ever it does come up, I'll put a link on my site. Um, if, if you just want to link to a email list or whatever it is, if they're ever available or if you ever want to try to build that list to prove to them that yeah. people would want it, yeah, um, just let me know and I'll put it on our page okay, um, so that we can get some people. Um, there's a couple more images. that This one's ap- absolutely my favorite, and I actually – it's now my screen saver. Um, I have too many people. Um, but – this one oh. is the, I think, I, Mr. T was like my favorite A-team member. Oh, really? And, yes, and I was like an A-team. That was like I was in fifth grade, and I was, oh, I loved the A-team. I was real tomboyish. But this reminds me of Mr. T minus the uh, mo- mohawk. Yeah. But I think this is awesome. And, you again, it's simple illustrations and I just love them.
1: Cool. Well, good. I'm glad that you do. But it seems like people like it. So gotta, try to keep doing it.
0: Definitely. But what I love about this is, and you guys should pick this book up as well as some of the other books as well, but it's every few pages you see another illustration. So now I can actually take in the information that I'm reading and I have time to process it in that illustration and, instead of just going quickly to the next chapter because sometimes when I'm reading a book like that, I don't always take notes. Sometimes I take notes in the margins. I don't know how y'all feel about that or not. But, okay, so now we'll go back to some of your um, sketches, before how you kind of use sketching and sketch notes into your work. So this is your sketches for Red Sweater.
1: Yep. My friend Daniel Jalkett, software uh, developer.
0: So then... You just did a ton of sketches. And these, are these in pencil?
1: Yeah, these are in pencil in a little bit bigger book. Um, I think they were actually, uh, I did six pages of sketches because there were three rounds. Daniel was a tough client, but uh, we came up with a good solution in the end. So yeah, lots of sketches and notes. And those get shared with the client. Here's the final.
0: So is that how you present to the client? You get, you show them those before you, or do you work up comps and show them those?
1: Um, I worked through the pencils. I found that um, I was kind of selective about the clients that I picked that, you know, could handle it, and um, even if they couldn't, I would sort of show them the, the sketches in the process, and I would always include lots of detailed written notes, because a lot of the clients I work with were remote. They weren't people I would meet at a coffee shop, so I would use Basecamp, um, I would post the image, a sketch, up, and then number. You notice that the, those are all numbered. I would then put numbers in a in a base camp post, and then have rationale for each one. And a lot of times, it might be this is a terrible idea. We can't do this one. So I would sort of go through and say, I had to explore this idea. I thought it might work. It's terrible. Let's not do it. Number seven, and then go through that one, and and then you know give my favorites. And so there's this whole rationale behind the sketches. And I started publishing that on the blog, and I think that actually drew people that were interested in that process. So in that way, it was sort of self, self-filtering, self I guess.
0: Well, and it's also very um, courageous because you're showing people the things that you didn't think works instead of just showing them the great stuff. So it's just a really – it's very – you do have to really trust your client and the client has to really trust you and you have to be they have to know that you're going to you have their best interest in mind um it, it can't just in. be like this guy you met on the street
1: I think you, what you can find was when you share your sketches with your clients or your coworkers is they now if they've got feedback into it they become part of the process and part of the solution right like if you come and present this final comp a lot of times people will have feedback but they just won't tell you cuz they're afraid that you spent twelve hours on this mock-up and you can't change it and you would they'd feel bad if they made you change it. Or if they're really mean they they enjoy that. I don't know. But uh, I think by involving them they're sort of buying, <laughs> right? And they they sort of connect. And they now that when it's the solution comes, they feel like they had a hand in it. They were part of it. I think that's really important.
0: Definitely. Well Mike, we have tons more, but we don't have time. I don't want to take up any more of your time. So I'm going to quickly put up some of Mike's um, ways to get in touch with them. So I definitely want everybody to check out the Sketchnote Army. So, and he, he wrote, you know, that it's been around since 2009, but this again is where people can post. And you actually send them an email when they're gonna be on that week or something, right? Yeah, what
1: I've been trying to do this year is uh, I've sort of committed to trying to do a uh, post every day. I'm not always um, able to do it. Um, I'm on a long-term contract. Where I'm working full-time. And I'm on a lunch break right now, but um, the idea is to post something every day. I have my friend uh, Benevi who is helping, and she does Fridays. And I'm trying to produce this uh, schedule of producing, finding other people's work and posting it up there. So the whole goal of Sketchnote Army was, you couldn't find sketch notes unless you really were searching and filtering. So I wanted a way to showcase them, and not the work that I did. Like I wanted it to be way more about other people's work and build a community. So that's that was the goal behind it. And the domain was free, so I started it, and uh, it's been going strong. And I think it's—I can see the traffic and interest improving by producing things, or posting things daily or close to daily. So I think that's today, awesome. I didn't post anything today, so now I'm feeling guilty. But uh, you know, three to five days <laughs> a week, I felt that was pretty good.
0: And then you also, the Flickr is is definitely a great way to keep up with what you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. And then you're also definitely posting your sketch notes and then again, I want to put up your uh, roadie design, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool how you were able to put your whole last name in combine yeah. it with designs so that's great and then he's also on Twitter, on Instagram, and on app dot um net mm-hmm. as well. so all of those are right here and
1: Typically, you can, guess look for road get shown you can find me as row Design in most every place. So I have a Pinterest. I, didn't, I haven't figured out Pinterest totally. I like it, but I haven't figured out how to work it into my workflow. So I put things up there on occasion, but I, there's just too many places. So if you look for Road Design, I'm probably going to be there if I'm there.
0: You definitely kind of have to choose. Well, guys, thanks again for coming and staying five minutes late. And thank you, Mike, so much. This has been great. Um, you guys can get in touch with me at Diane at designrecharge.org or at Diane Gibbs or any of my Facebook Oops, I just hit the wrong button. Um, Sorry about that. Um, Sorry. Um, Anyway, so that's how you can get in touch with me as well. Mike can't wait. And next week we have Keith Tatum get ready again to be inspired and I know that Keith actually teaches some people sketch noting in his company that are accountants or whatever. Good, so awesome. I know he uses some of these same Yeah, so he's really, it's his simple shapes, things like this. So I know you've touched a lot of people. And um, I am just very thankful to have had you, Mike. And I hope you keep going. And I hope there's a number two at some point And I can't wait to read all the rest of them. Thanks, so I hope you guys pick up the books, definitely. And we'll have you on again because we didn't get to half of our questions. That's okay. Thanks, guys. Anyway, thank you so much, Mike. And I will see you all next week at 2.30 Eastern Time, 11.30 Pacific. Bye.